Bowl when, when the coach, uh, the winning coach, they put him on his shoulders and they run him off the field on their shoulders and everybody's excited, right? And that's kind of how you feel as a brand new family in the church when you're starting out. And, uh, but you know what happens after a while, right? Have you, how many of you guys have been in church for at least 10 years at least? So you all know where I'm going, right? You guys know where I'm going? After a while, the newness kind of wears off, kind of like a new car, right? How many of you guys love a new car smell? How many of you guys have ever bought a car for the new car smell? Anybody? You're not going to confess that. You're not going to say, hey, I did, because you don't want to look like a dummy, but maybe you did, you know? Um, but, but in any event, you buy the car, and you just enjoy that new car smell. In fact, I had before where I told my boys when I had a new car, you know, I said, hey, listen, guys, no, no eating or drinking in the car. You can drink water. That's it. You know, no, no McDonald's fries in there, no onion rings that smell up the car, you know, and, uh, and, and all that. And so the new car smell. And so, but what happens with that new car smell after a while? It wears off, and now you just have a car. And the payments. Right? And you're kind of like, well, it's a little dirty, I guess. Well, you guys have, you can have some fries, I guess, in there, you know. And pretty soon they're eating fries in there, and they might be eating a hamburger in there. Like you, like you guys know this about Burger King. You go to Burger King, and they, they shred their lettuce. So you know what that means when you, when you eat a Whopper? <laughs> if you don't leave the paper on there, there's going to be lettuce everywhere. You, you know what I mean? And then, and then like, in, in the car, then you got dried up lettuce. People get in your car, and you're like, man, you're a slob, bro. You know, if you have kids, you have dried up french fries in your car. How many of you guys have dried up french fries right now in your car? So, pastor, you kind of feel that way. It's the new car smell. <sighs> it smells good. But after a while, you're like, man, this dude's getting on my last nerve. He's preaching these things that bug me. Sometimes they rub me the wrong way. And we've been hearing this Sunday in and Sunday out. I'm ready for something else. Jesus, riding into Jerusalem, everybody's excited. I mean, have you ever been any place where they started throwing down palm branches because they did I mean, they just wanted your path, like almost kind of like a red carpet reception? I mean, nobody's, I mean, you know, we've all felt welcomed on some level, but man, that's taking it overboard. You know, that's a big deal. Now, of course, we know about Old, Old Testament prophecy, and there's all of that, of course, you know. But what we're talking about has to do more with the practical, and that's where we're going we're gonna to delve today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to uh, Gospel of Luke. And as we're talking about this, um, this whole thing that transpires, there's some good things in there for all of us from a practical perspective. As we, um, as we look, there's going to be some, some things that we'll uh, hopefully glean. Because, you know, we have all week long, right? We all have all week long. To think about Easter, to think about even Good Friday service. Uh, we have this, this processing time, and, and uh, you know, we have a church close to where we live, and I love their signs. They put up on their digital sign uh, every single day of the week. They have some kind of a thing that they're doing in the life of their church. I, I love that idea. Um, and, uh, and so, like, one day they're going to be uh, devoting themselves to prayer, and then uh, as a church, and they're going to actually assemble themselves at the church and do prayer as a body. And then on Tuesday, they're going to be doing some kind of another thing. And then on Wednesday, and then, and then on Thursday, and then Friday. And then even on Saturday, they're having, you know, the whole uh, Easter egg thing. And then Sunday is going to be kind of the, the finale, you know, the celebration. And I love that idea. I'd like to sit down with the board and our leadership team to talk about next year. 
what that could look like. And, uh, but in any event, you have an entire week in front of you to get ready for, um, you know, for all the things that are going to be celebrated this weekend. And I hope that you're thoughtful about all of it. And, um, and I had my ribbon in Luke, and I don't know why I did. Go to Mark. That's, what I meant, that's where I meant to be. Have you ever done that as a pastor? Any pastors in here, you ever done that? Well, in any event, let's go ahead and do that. Now, <laughs> this is a true story, and people in Malala will, will absolutely um, attest to this. I, I got up one day to preach, and, uh, and I started reading from the text. And so I'm reading from the text, and midway through the text, I'm realizing I'm reading the wrong text. And so I stood at the pulpit, and I, and I looked kind of like a deer in headlights, and I looked at everybody, and I said, you know what I just realized, guys? And they're looking for some kind of real deep revelation. And I said, I read the wrong text. And they burst out in a laughter, you know, and we just had a real moment of levity there. We were able to, to enjoy the moment. Uh, but in any event, let's go to the, let's go to the, um, to the text here. And um, as we're doing that, uh, let the Lord speak to you. Uh, chapter 11, but let the Lord speak to you about all the, the things that he needs to speak to you about. And, um, and let him uh, shape you and mold you and, and guide you and direct you and encourage you uh, in, this, in this message. Uh, that whatever it is that God has for your life, that you'd be open to it. Are you open to what God has for you this morning? No? Are you open to what God has for you this morning? Well, let's, 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 let's articulate that with our attitudes, with our mouths, with our lives, with our hearts. Let me say that I'm expectant. Man, if God doesn't speak to any of you guys, he's going to speak to me. And that, we, that should be our testimony this morning. Man, God's going to talk to me. I'm open to what God has for my life. So this crazy wheel is stuck on there, and we're going to move forward so your blind pastor can see under these lights. Here's what it says, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. I've always stopped there and really thought about what this is. This is interesting. If you're the disciples and Jesus is telling you to go and do that, does it take faith to go do that? It'd be the equivalent of me saying to any of you guys, hey, listen, I need you to go down the street. You'll see a red Toyota parked out in the parkway, in the driveway. And uh, you'll see the keys right there on the, on the seat. And when you walk up there, just go ahead and get in it and take it. And if anybody bothers you, tell them the pastor needed it. <laughs> right? It's kind of the equivalent. I mean, not even talking about transportation, but what it represented in that culture is that uh, livestock was part of their livelihood, right? That's how they made their, their living in a lot of cases, when you're talking about livestock. And so Jesus is basically telling them, go. And you ever thought about the disciples? The disciples are not going to be people that are going to sit there and say, well, pastor, or, uh, yeah, they could call Jesus pastor. Uh, they're going to say, well, pastor, you know, uh, talk to us about who this guy is, because we want to know who the guy is, right? How many guys would say, we kind of need to know the backstory, the subplot, right? Don't you think you want to know the story? I mean, we read these stories and we don't think about it, uh, the humanity of it. We really don't. We don't think about what that took for those guys to actually hear what Jesus just said and to not balk at it, to not pause, to not stop. The Bible says that he shared that with them and then they go. So they don't have this argument with Jesus, right? And so they just decide they're going to go, so they go. 
took faith for them to go and do that. And so I, I always ask the question for my own life, am I that quick to act on what God says, even as crazy and cockamamie as it might sound? I mean, does it ever... Does, does it always have to make sense for us to know that it to know that it's God? Does it have to work in the way that we do things? I mean, there's certain constructs and certain templates, certain modes of, of operation that have to work in our mind in order for us to entertain that it might be from God. Now, I'm not saying what we what we say in a church service because it sounds spiritual. I'm talking about in the nuts and bolts of your life. As God is speaking to you about whatever He's speaking to you about. Sometimes he's going to call you to do some crazy stuff that you're not going to have answers for. And that's where the faith kicks in. The trust that we have in the Lord. A little while ago, we had the children here sitting up at the front, right? And, and, and these little guys are amazing. They, they display faith that sometimes we adults do not have. They, they uh, exude trust that sometimes we don't have. You know, parents, you know that when your, your kids are little, you could tell them anything and they believe it. You know, when, to, my, to my boys, I'm a superhero. You know, my dad can do anything. And if he says it, he's going to do it. You know, of course, we're the ones that over time we can erode that. Of course, experiences and life and all of that can erode that trust and that faith. But Jesus said that we ought to be like these little ones. And he was talking about their trust and their faith. That when their heavenly father speaks something, that they could absolutely believe it and trust it. And how do we know that they believe it and they trust it? Because they act upon it. Lip service is cheap. We could talk all day to we're blue in the face about we love God, that we trust God. But does your life bleed that? If you were going to sit down and do an inventory on how you're trusting God, would your list look pretty ordinary? I mean, do an inventory. When's the last time you let God speak? When's the last time that you let God really, really talk to you about what he wants you to do? I wrote a guy a letter the other day. He had visited our church, and, and he wrote me a letter, and he says, How can I know, Pastor, that God's the one that's speaking to me, and it's not my own mind, my own thoughts? How many guys have ever wrestled with that one? You ever wrestled with that one? You know, you think maybe God's speaking, but... It's hard to tell because it might be you. One of the things that I know God is speaking is he speaks those things into my life that I'm going to absolutely need him for. And if I'm not going to absolutely need him, it's probably coming from Steve. If it's going to be something that I can do apart from him, it's probably coming from Steve. If it is something that does not require faith and trust in him, it's absolutely coming from Steve. And what that looks like then is that we dream up things that we can do that have no risk. We, we in our own imagination, we have going on about what we think is the will of God, but these are actually things that will require no faith and no trust in God. So, for instance, if you're going to answer a call to ministry, let's pretend that this morning, you know what the first thing that human beings do? We go to our strengths. If I'm going to answer a call to some kind of a, of a ministry in the church, let's pretend kids, right? 
You think it would take faith for you to go and be with the kids? Anybody? Huh? You know? And like, oh my goodness, I know God's not calling me to that because I have no gifts or graces for that. No sooner that you're saying that, that God's like, that's exactly what I want for your life. You need that because you need me to do that. Instead, I'm really good at cooking. So I'm going to be in a cooking ministry. I'm going to go to the pastor and ask him to start a ministry that pertains to cooking, to, to kitchen. That's what I'm going to do. And you know why? Because we've already worked it on in our mind how good we're, we are at that. And so when I go do that, then I'm not going to work out of, uh, out of the, 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 the faith and the trust that I have welled up in me. I'm just going to do it out of the confidence that I have in my flesh. Where am I getting that from? I mean, when you look in the text, isn't it easy for these disciples to go to Jesus and say, listen, we need to understand. Before we go there, I think it's reasonable for you to explain the circumstance and situation of this individual who's willing to allow us to take this donkey. We kind of sometimes look down our nose at the pre-Holy Spirit disciples, pre-Pentecost disciples. Have you ever done that? Have you ever read the Gospels and think, what a bunch of dummies? Why are they talking about bread for the trip? Why are they talking about being on the right and the left hand, those knuckleheads? Has anybody ever kind of downgraded them and kind of thought, have you ever done that? Yeah, no. I don't know, maybe. Man, they, these guys exercised a lot of faith, man. They really did. I mean, when you go in the accounts of the Gospels and all the things that they did, they exercised a lot of faith. Yeah, they did knuckleheaded things, but how many of you guys have done knuckleheaded things? This is when you raise your hand. Just want to help you out. This is when you raise your hand real high and you say, I've been a knucklehead. I have done. Man, I've made mistakes. Made mistakes? You better believe it. But, but you know, it's, it's pretty cool because even over and above our mistakes, we can still exercise faith. You know what I mean? Like, like you've done something and you said something or you, 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 know, you missed something and all of a sudden then the Holy Spirit says, you know what, I'm going to teach you from that mistake. These guys exercised faith. They really did. And they didn't have the benefit that we had, not to this point. They didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit to live in us. God gives us wisdom and discernment. Praise the Lord. For these guys, they decided we're going to go. And now in the text, look at look what they do. The two disciples left. I like that little space there. So you have the red letters, and then there's a space, and then the two disciples left. So there wasn't, there's not anything written there about them arguing or, or complaining or balking at it. They just, they go. They, the two disciples left. Their response to what Jesus said was obedience. Let me ask the question, the question this morning of all the Christians is when the, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, is your response obedience? Obedience. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, so let's move on. Two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some by, bystanders demanded, What are you doing? Untying that colt. They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Now, this ne- that paragraph there is also very intriguing to me, and I hope that you don't read over that paragraph. Have you ever wondered about the people who allowed these guys to take the donkey? Have you ever wondered about these people? Who are these people? There's not much said about them. Have you ever wondered about that? 
resolved that maybe those people might have been praying people? You know why I think that? Because as a minister of the gospel, I've had people who have resources in the churches where I've been, where I've preached. They have resources. And with those resources, they take those resources and they bless the kingdom. And you don't have to chase after them. You don't have to remind them. Like sometimes from the pulpit, we have to get after people because they don't tithe. You know what the average tithe, uh, average percentage of people who tithe in the church and Protestantism as a whole, who, who tithe faithfully and they tithe consistently? You know what the percentage of that is? It would, it would make you sad if I told you the percentage. Now you're sitting on the edge of your chair and you want to know the number. It's 8%. Regularly and consistently. And a tithe is a tenth of what comes in. I'm not talking about people who put a dollar in the, in the plate. Because you didn't make $10 on your check. When I was Catholic, I used to put a, a if it was paper money, I did something. I put a, I put a dollar, it was a paper dollar too. Did everybody see that? Boom. I'm, I, that's how I used to be. I used to have that mindset. I remember thinking, you know, I wasn't even putting a quarter in there, you know. Quarter get a dollar, pull it out like that, you know, fold it because you couldn't even see the one, so they didn't know if it was a 20 or a 10 or a 100, you know, so I fold that thing, I put it in there like that, because they had these long deals on a, on a, like a PVC pole, or I don't know what the thing was, but they'd extend that pole like this, and then they'd bring it back, and then they'd kind of do this thing, so people, you know, kind of, how many of you guys have ever been guilty about kind of looking at the person next to you like, like, did they give something? Man, I sit next to this guy every week and he never give anything. And then I had those folks that say, well, no, we, um, you know, we tithe online, which that's legit. Uh, but you have those thoughts. You know, I tell you why, because I used to. Maybe some of you, I don't know. But I used to put a paper dollar in there. 8% of Christians give tithes and offers. Do you think that's right? If that statistic is accurate, that must break God's heart. Let me say this about the people of God. The authentic people of God don't make excuses for not giving. They give, period. Because they look at the scripture, and across the board, they understand that we don't pick and choose what we want to be obedient. We understand obedience is obedience, period. Let me say this to anybody who's mad because the pastor's talking about money. Okay? You're sitting there, and you're getting upset because the pastor's talking about money. The people who are giving money don't care if the pastor's talking about money. It's only the ones who aren't giving that they're upset. And if you get so mad that you're going to go to another church, let me just tell you this, that when you get to the next church, start tithing there. Because I'm not saying that for my good. I'm saying that for the good of the kingdom and for sure your good. Give. How many of you guys have ever tried to outgive God? Anybody? You cannot. You can try, but you can't. You know why? Because God owns it all. This is the same guy that creates everything from nothing. You don't need drugs to blow your mind, guys. There's nothing, and he creates everything. Mind blown. This is that guy. And when you're obedient to him and you do what he wants, and you don't make... I've had people before, they say, well, pastor, should I tithe on, on the net or the gross? And I'm like, well, what do you think God lets you keep? Could you imagine if God started playing games like that with your breath or your pulse or your heartbeat? 
Elizabeth, I'm coming. He doesn't do that. God gives, when God gives, he gives his best. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. And what did he give? He gave his son, his one and only son. So he wasn't thinking about net and gross, do you think, when he sent Jesus? If, if, you think, if you're battling between net and gross, you've got a spiritual problem still. Because God has all. Right? I mean, is that your testimony? I wasn't planning on talking about that either, but, you know, it's going to fall where it's going to fall. So these people are godly people. I believe they're praying people. I believe that in their prayer life that morning, we don't know this. We don't know this. But, you know, I like to believe, I like to think that these people were the people of God. And that morning in their devotional time, God said to them, hey, listen, this was going to happen in this day. Make it available for them to take it. Because people with, with, influ- with influence and resource, you know what they do with their influence and resource? They give it away. That's what they do. I had a guy in Malala. I don't know who this individual was. He would constantly put a $20 bill in my Bible. I don't know how many times we were low on gas and I didn't, we didn't have another paycheck for about another week and a half. And that $20 bill was gasoline in my tank. Or how many times that Jennifer and I, you know, we're, we're, under, we're under a lot of pressure and it's a difficult week and we just need a little mini hiatus and we're going to go to McDonald's because that's all there is in Malala. But I'll tell you what, that was the best Big Mac you ever ate. You're like, man, it was just a little hiatus, just a brief blessing. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying to you? Because God puts those kinds of things in people's hearts. The people of God are generous people. Did you hear what I just said? The people of God should not be stingy. We shouldn't be like that. As a a, a brand new pastor, man, I'll tell you what, it was like an aha moment for me. I never had any kind of good credit at all, like ever. I mean, I, it started when I was in the military and I made a mess of my credit and everything. And so I always got the lemons. I got the clunkers. Anybody relate? And on the $5,000 and under cars. And now that won't even buy anything. So I had this, this, uh, this truck and it was on its last legs. All my vehicles that I always bought were always on their last leg. And uh, so I had this truck and my pastor had this shiny, beautiful Toyota Tacoma gorgeous it was like um, maroon and so when the sun would hit it at sunset it was like ah. I mean, it was beautiful man I love that truck and uh, one day I, I said to Pastor Bain I said you know someday I'd like to own a truck like that one that is the most beautiful truck I've ever seen you know someday I'd like to own something like that and so he said yeah I like it you know it runs well blah 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 this and that so the next week the pastor come into my office, he knocks on the door, and we, we start talking. He says, hey, man, you know what? I've been thinking about what you were saying the other day. He's saying, and I, I came in here to give you my truck. <laughs> he said, we're going to use part of your salary. We'll pull part of your salary out of that to pay for it because I still owe this much on it. But when it's paid off, it's yours. But I just came to do that, and we got to switch over the papers. And I didn't know what to say. I never had anybody treat me like that. I never had anybody do anything like that for me. And uh, so we signed him over. And so I'm here I am in my Toyota Tacoma. I'm like, yeah, that's me. How you doing? You know? I remember I watched that thing. And we didn't have kids back in those days. So there's no fries and there's no shredded lettuce in that mess. That, that truck, man, if you're going to get in that truck, wipe your feet. Take your shoes off. Like at the house, take your shoes off. You're going to ride in the truck. 
I took care of it. Now, my lead pastor was notorious because when he drive that thing, man, he would give it, he'd give it heck. You know, he, I'm like, push the clutch in, bro. That's what, that's what the problem is, you know. He was rough on stuff. He'd drive things hard and everything. And so one day he come up to me and says, hey, Pastor, uh, pastor Steve, I need to borrow the truck just to move some gravel. I need to move some gravel from the, you know, the store, the place where I bought it to my house. And, um, and I have these images in my mind of him taking the truck. And I know how he is. He's the kind of guy, he's got the shovel there, not, not walking it over and like dumping it. He's the kind of guy, bing, 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 bing. I mean, and I had these visions in my mind. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Pastor, um, I'll go with you. And he said, no, brother, you don't have to do that. I'll just do it. I mean, I have time, plus you have to make hospital visits and blah, 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 and whatever else. I'll just take it. Give me the keys, and I'll take it. And I didn't want to. I just didn't want to. And he could tell that I didn't want to. And so he says to me, he says, you know what, bro? Don't worry about it. It's okay. And, and he wasn't saying it like, you know, like sometimes we say, that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay. You can just rot in that truck. He didn't say it like that. He didn't say it. He was, he was legitimate. He says, it's okay. I'll find another truck. No problem. I want to go crawl under a rock. I want to go crawl under a stage and live there for the rest of my life. So I knew that what I had done was despicable. And, and you know how God is, the Holy Spirit. I go into my office and I start thinking about him coming to my office, giving me the title. I, and I hightailed it, man. I, I asked God for forgiveness, went to my knees immediately, and asked God for forgiveness. And he taught me something. Hopefully, it'll teach you something. I give illustrations sometimes so that maybe you can grab a hold of something. Maybe you're going through something in your life, or maybe you're ungrateful, or you're just kind of just missing something. Hopefully, it's some, there's somebody in here, maybe you're struggling through something like that. What I learned is that, man, you know what? God has given me everything that I have so I can give it away. I don't have what I have so I can keep it. I have what I have so I can give it away so other people can see him and experience him. That's why I have what I have. And I, man, I ran to the pastor's office. I was hoping he hadn't left. I was hoping he hadn't made any other plans. I'd taken that key off its ring and I put it on the table and I said, Pastor Bain, have fun. Lord, take care of my truck. <laughs> the people of God are supposed to be generous. How are we with all the resources that God has blessed us with? Are you generous? This guy in this story is generous. I mean, he's, hey, what are you doing with that? Uh, that coat over there, what are you doing? The master has need of it. All right. Have fun. Take it easy. See you later. I believe that probably those people were praying and they recognized immediately the movement of God when it happened, which is another thing. I think with our generosity, we're not prayed up enough to know when we're supposed to be generous. We just, man, we just, we let these situations go by the wayside because we're not prayed up. 
I mean, a person could say, well, that's not in the Bible, Pastor. Where are you getting that from? I just believe it because I've been able to see remnant of that no matter where I've ever been in the people of God. That's immediately what you get from them. I mean, the other day, I'm going to brag on somebody. They might not like it. We were moving the Hansons into their house. You know, they're coming down from Oregon. We're glad you're here. This dude drove from Oregon to Texas in two days to get here for church this morning. Thank you for that. So we're moving them, and we're tired. You know, Pastor, uh, our, uh, Pastor Brad's there, and Pastor uh, Judy, and, 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 and we're, we're, we're all doing the work, right? And so we have this... Uh, this need, you know, what happens when you start moving, you get hungry. I get hungry sitting in front of a computer, much less moving somebody, you know, in a truck. And so, Brother Bob calls up and says, hey, honey, we got to feed these people. So, get them something to eat. So, we're finishing up the moving, and we got chicken. How many of you guys like chicken from um, Bush's Chicken? Anybody like Bush's? I had never experienced Bush's Chicken until I got to Texas. I throw rocks at KFC. I throw rocks at KFC. Now I just throw rocks at it. Bush's Chicken. Pastor Judy, we get to the house, right? We're all dirty and smelly and stinky and grimy. She got this beautiful house, you know, and she got the chicken there. She's got the sides and everything's out. She got the paper cups and the paper plates and everything set out. Like, like I mean, everything's perfect for us, waiting for us. When we got in there, we got to enjoy the good, the good food. And so then I'm like, well, how much do we owe you? And they're like, you owe us nothing. You don't owe us anything. And I'm like, what? No, man, come on, you're feeding all these people. That's a lot of money. Nope. That's what people, I mean, I could probably pick out other people that, that have done these kinds of things over time. That's, that's the sign that you're a Christian, that you give. In the churches, the Christians take. They start with their own personal finances. I'm going to keep my finances because I can't afford, or I'm not going to extend my time or my talents to be able to give to somebody else because I'm too busy. I don't have time. Christians give. That's, what, that's who we are. That's because it's in our DNA. For God gave his one and only son. It's, it's in our spiritual DNA. If you don't give, if you don't like to give, you got a spiritual problem. The good news is that spiritual problem could be remedied. When God gives you what he's given you and you realize what he's given you, with that Toyota, I'm telling you, the thing that broke me and cut my guts out about that was that I went to this memory in my mind's eye of the pastor coming and bringing the title and saying, I came to bring this truck to you. It's yours. And when no sooner that I remembered that, ah, ah, maybe that kind of a time is happening right now in you and you're realizing, you know what? I've been not been giving my time, my talents, my resources. I don't know. But I want to say the good news is that you don't have to go and hang yourself at a bridge. It's not a message of condemnation. If you're not giving, listen, the day, today's a day of salvation, right now. You can ask God for forgiveness and say, Lord, would you forgive me for being stingy, for holding on to what, what is rightfully yours? Would you forgive me? And you know what God will do? He will forgive you. 
And you can start new. You can start fresh. That's, I love that about God. God gives us new starts. He gives us a fresh, clean slate. And we're able to, you know what I love about a whiteboard? You guys remember the old chalkboards? Remember those old chalkboards? Those, those teachers would be writing on that board and all this. And then what would happen is they'd erase it with the black ones. Remember the black erasers? The felt ones, whatever they were? And you'd erase it. But you could still see a remnant of what was on that board. Until they took out the big wide one and they would wet them. And, and on Fridays, the janitors would take those, those wet ones and they would go like this. And then what would happen on Monday when you got to school? There was not even a remnant of what was written on Friday. Not even a remnant. That's who our God is. That if you're somebody who's not been practicing generosity and you feel bad about it, let that bring you to an altar. And God will erase it clean. And whatever you were doing back here, that's gone. That's done. And moving forward, what we're going to do is we're going to be generous. These people, here they have this, this donkey, right? They have this, this transportation, this mode of transportation, this, this mode of gaining resources. And they don't say, hey, that's mine. They find out that it's for the Lord's work and they say, go, go do it. Do it, keep it. Man, knock yourself out. Is anybody in here getting help? I'm going to tell you something. It might not be your money. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I give 10% and I give offerings too. It might be your time, you guys. Sometimes it's easier to write a check than it is to give your time. When we have missions and we start talking about the missions in, in Africa and in India and China and wherever else, it's easier for us to write a check than it is to go and do mission work in our backyard. And we can feel good about all the missions checks we've written and we need those and God bless you and thank you. But in addition to that, to be able to say, you know, I'm going to give my time and my talents to go reach lost people for Jesus. It's all of it inclusive, right? It's not one or the other. It's all of it. Sometimes as a, as a pastor, you kind of feel like, man, maybe I shouldn't talk about that. But I think it's for your benefit that I talk about this. I don't think we'd ever have any need in the church if all, everybody got on board. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if, if we broke the mold at our church and we had 100% givers? We'd never have a need. There would never be a need in the church. There, there never would be. Yeah, people come into church sometimes and they say, hey, man, we need gas. We're stranded. And there are times when people dip into their own pockets to go do it because the resources for that in the church is like, well, we, you know, we're trying to figure out sometimes how to keep the lights on. Any pastors in here? That's real. That stuff's real. Sometimes people in the church, they think that that's somebody else's responsibility to give, not mine. 100%. Every single one of us equally pulling. If whatever you make, whatever it is that you get, 10% of that belongs to the Lord. And we're storehouse uh, givers. We believe in the church of the Nazarene. We should bring our whole tithe into the storehouse. Amen. Some people pick and choose what they want to do, but then you're not the, you see, here's the deal. Is that you and I are in control of that. That's his. That's why the Bible talks about his tithe, not yours. When you grab a hold of that one, then you, now you can't be in control. Because what you have in churches sometimes are people who think they're in control. You ever been, anybody been in church more than 10 years? 
How many of you guys have ever seen people that think they're in control? And they think that the money that they give makes them in control. Let me remind anybody who might be like that. We don't have anybody like that, of course, but just you never know. On Facebook, they might be out there. All the money that you have, it's not yours. You know why? Because this, you did nothing to produce that. So anything that requires that belongs to God. All of it. All of it. You know, have you ever thought about how generous God is? He lets you keep 90. And we're griping about the 10. You ever thought about that? All right, pastor, move on. Good grief. <laughs> we're talking about horses being beat, beat to glue or something like that. We're talking about donkeys today. All right, no, verse 8. <laughs> Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches uh, they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! Hosanna! Yes? When we know this, we picture it, and we're celebrating, Woohoo! Are you all excited? We were talking a little while ago about the brand new pastor. I'm trying to figure out if I like him or not. Sometimes you feel as a pastor at the beginning, people like you. Jesus is absolutely feeling the adoration of the people as he's being embraced. Similarly, I felt that and whatever. But here's what takes place is when you start giving truth, you start preaching truth, then start, people start getting mad. These same people that were preaching, that were uh, proclaiming, Hosanna, praise God. Don't you love when people praise God? But did you know that people praise God with wrong expectations? With wrong perspectives? There are people in this world and even in the churches that think God is there for their disposal. That God is there to burp them and pat them on the back and tell them how great they are, how wonderful they are. And God does that. He does do that. Well, I don't know about the burping. But, you know, God, God loves us. He, he loves us. And he blesses us. And when we read his word, we're able to draw all the positive things and all of that. Don't get me wrong. The people, the people that were embracing him. In John chapter um, 6, you have where on one side of the lake, Jesus is preaching and he feeds them. 5,000 people plus women and children, Right? And they, they think Jesus is the bomb, man. This guy's the best. I love Jesus. I love me some Jesus. Jesus gets on the lake, goes to the other side. And the people, while he's on the, the body of water going to the other side of the lake, these people hightail it to the other side and they start inviting other people to come. And there's this big, huge number of people waiting from on the other side. And they're pretty excited because he's been teaching for sure, but he fed their guts. They go over there and they're ready for meal number two. Was it a second breakfast on the Lord of the Rings or whatever it was? Third breakfast? And they're thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe Jesus can manifest another miracle and I can be the recipient of that miracle. That's what was going on, right? So these guys are all assembled and they're all excited about what Jesus is getting ready to do because I know it's going to be for my good. 
perspective, right? So now he starts talking about things like eating his flesh, drinking his blood. And these people are like, okay, uh, no. The Bible says that that mass of people, 5,000 plus women and children are like, and it was so drastic. Then he looks at his own disciples and says, are you guys leaving too? Are y'all going to leave too? They were declaring, and you'll, see, you'll find this in John chapter 6, where they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? That was the basis for their, li- their leaving, the hard teaching. These people who are putting their coats and their branches, and here comes Jesus in on a, on a donkey. I mean, it's a pretty good thing. Praise Lord. Holy Week, he's going to say some hardcore things. And here's the teaching point. Don't miss it. These same people that are shouting for joy and praising him are going to be the same people who are going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. These are the same people. And this mob mentality in the church, in our stories, is that we love the idea that Jesus is going to do something for us, but when he starts getting into our business, we're ready to hightail it. And in fact, we're ready to murder the truth that God is trying to bring to our heart. And what we're saying this morning is that maybe there's an opportunity for me to say, you know what, I want to praise God when he's feeding my belly. I want to praise God when he's giving me the Christian goosebumps. But man, I want my praise to not waver in the least bit when he has to give me hard truth. Because I know that all of it works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know that. You know, Jesus, if if the only thing that you can ever accept from Jesus is the warm fuzzies and the unicorns, if that's the only thing that you can embrace from Jesus, then you don't worship Jesus. You worship the things he's given you. You're addicted to the candy. You're addicted to all the, the warm fuzzies, but you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not commit, connected and committed to Jesus. Because, man, sometimes God is going to give you hard truth. Sometimes he's going to put a mirror in front of your face and say you're selfish with your time. Like a, a service like this one where, you know, I came in to put some branches down and, and wave some branches and light some candles. This is what I came to, a good, uh, you know, uh, Palm Sunday for. That's why I came. And now the pastor's talking about giving. Wait, 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 wait what? Back the train up. That's not why I came. I'm going to go try the church down the street. That's not who the people of God are. The people of God are like, man, if that's me, well, then i got to change that by his grace. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, that's what that wooden thing's for. You ever thought what this wooden thing's for? The Christians need to start using them. And if we would do that, If, if we would get a hold of a brokenness in the church, then whenever it is that the Holy Spirit speaks, then my only response is obedience. If that was my response, and, and remember the 8%, I wonder if that 8% is directly tied into the 8% of the people who actually know God in the churches. Not just know him, but they know him. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and most people are going to go into that gate. Narrow is the gate that leads to eternity with him and very few are going to get in. 
And I've ever wondered about that because when you ask most people if they're Christians, they'll say yes. If you ask most people if they're going to heaven, they'll say yes. And I've, so I've wondered, is Jesus like, why did he say that? If, because you ask everybody and they're already people, the people of God. But I think what happens is that people have been lulled to sleep to think that if they know about God, that that's knowing God. And that, those, are, those are two different things. I know about Michael Jordan. If I saw Michael Jordan right walking down the street, I, hey, that's Mike, Michael Jordan, oh my goodness. Take out my phone and start taking pictures, right? Could you imagine though, just knowing about him, walking up to him, if I could even be, get close to him with his bodyguards? Say, hey, what's up, Mike? What's happening, bro? Do I, I, I have no idea who you are, bro. You know, I, I don't, just get this weirdo out of here. You know? <laughs> It'd be an entirely different thing if I knew Michael Jordan. He might even initiate. Hey, Steve, what are you doing, bro? How you been? That's what's going on in the churches. We know about God, but we don't know God. And the way we know God, we know him through obedience. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. First John chapter four, or chapter two, chapter two. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anybody knows him, he will obey. And that's how we'll know that his love is made truly complete in him. Everybody who claims to know Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. Jesus gave his life. This Palm Sunday should be something where we're able to say, you know what? The, the bane of my Christianity has been that I put down all the things on the road and expending everything as long as it's festive and it's easy and it's wonderful and fun. I might have repeated fun. But, but I'm taking up those cloaks and I'm taking up these palm branches every time that there's something hard I need to hear. It's been my attitude. I pout, I get mad, I get despondent, I isolate myself, I go to another church. That's my mode, if I'm honest. That this morning can change. It can change. Did you hear what I said to you? It can change. It's going to require humility. It's going to require confession. It's going to require repentance. And as the praise and worship team is coming up, we're going to have that opportunity to do that today. That I don't know, you know, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning. Here's what I know. Is that probably every single believer in this room, that there's something that God has spoken to you about. Something. It might be pertaining to giving. It might be something else. But regardless of what that thing is, if the Holy Spirit was faithful enough and thought of you enough to show up and to talk to you. We're talking about the creator of the entire universe, the guy who created all things. And as small and inconsequential as we might be, that he thought enough of you to come and present something like this to you. We had to grab a hold of that and understand that that's valuable, what he's done here today for you, for me. 
I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. In fact, I'd like you to stand for prayer. As, as uh, our worship team begins to play and you just sense the nudge of the Holy Spirit, if you, if you sense like God is speaking to you and he's saying, child, here it is. That you'd be able to forego all of the opinions of other people, what they might think. That you'd be able to overcome your fear, overcome your reluctance, to embrace God that whatever it is that he might ask for in his unlimited discernment about you that it is right and you can trust it you can trust that discernment that God has about your life he knows so as the worship team plays I'd like you to consider these things and if he's speaking to you that the altars are open this morning Multiply, God, all that I am, and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire, set me on fire. Oh, take all I have in these hands and multiply, God, all that I am, and find my heart on. Again, set me on fire, set me on fire. Here I am, God, arms wide open, pouring out my life gracefully. Nothing back. 
message that all of us can benefit, the guy talking included, all of us have benefited from your word. And we're so grateful that you are the living word, the eternal logos. And when we think about that word is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating the very heart of a person. We know, Lord, that that living word has gone forth to accomplish the good that you intend for it to accomplish. That surgical procedure that we all needed, regardless of what the ailment might have been, selfishness, stinginess. Maybe there was a, a fear that, that we had to attack and address today by your word. That living word went forth regardless of what it was. And we know that if we're open to your moving in our lives, that it can begat more life, that there can be added faith and added trust and that we can grow. But it's always contingent on our willingness to allow you to do it. And I pray for every single person in this room today that we've opened up our hearts and our lives through an attitude of humility and brokenness. And we say, God, you do whatever you want. God, change me the way that you see fit. And I'll let you do it. In fact, I'll agree with you. And sometimes I might not even understand what that even means. But in those moments where there's that limitation on our part, we know that there's absolutely no limitation on yours. And so today, we thank you, God, for speaking to us in a very understandable way. We're able to grab a hold of everything that you have for our lives in a way that we can digest it spiritually. And so, God, we leave here joyful, excited about the good things that you're getting ready to accomplish in and through our lives. And that, Lord, as the people are seated in the congregation, we ask those ushers to come forward and all the things that we heard and that we amened even, we get to participate in. And through our obedience, God, that we would just, even if we don't think we can afford something, even if we think that we look at our bottom line and we say, I don't think I'll be able to pay my mortgage and my truck and my other obligations with everything that I make right now if I were to give tithes, that we would trade in such fearful thinking. Your word says that your perfect love drives out all fear. And we know, Lord God, that the one who has been able to cast out all fear, has been made perfect in love, your love. Today, God, may we walk in faith and may we take everything that you have given to us and whatever that is that you require as you reveal it to us, that we will say yes to your will and to your way in our lives. And on our part, Lord God, as a leadership team, as a church, 
that we'd be able to be good stewards of your resources, that we'd be able to expend all of those good resources that come in on the growth of your kingdom for the purposes of bringing you glory and honor. And so we thank you, God. We love you. And we pray all these things then in the amazing, awesome, life-giving name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Ushers, would you come forward? And as they're doing what they do, we're so grateful for their ministry. I have some announcements I want to share with you. Uh, the first uh, that I wanted to share is uh, something uh, interesting that I got from a brother. Uh, Steve Pennington, many of you know him. Maybe you don't know him. He's a, a real tall guy that helps us out in the foyer with, uh, with our security detail. Um, he he uh, gave me this message, and I thought uh, that may, many of you would be interested. Today at Barnes & Noble at 1 o'clock, uh, the author of Bloodlines, Melissa, Melissa Del Bosque, I said it in Spanish, did you catch that? Not Bosque, but Bosque, okay, anyway, uh, has the same name as the street here that goes this way. Uh, she's going to be signing copies of that, and you'll have an opportunity to maybe buy a copy of the book if you're interested. Um, I can't go into a whole lot of specifics, uh, but I could tell you that there's some, uh, some things that uh, were, were done through our church in an effort to, um, you know, stop the, the bad activities that sometimes happen in, in cities. And I'll just go, I'll just leave it at that. And um, the church was a, a participant, a willing participant in, in those um, endeavors. And uh, so that's uh, Barnes & Noble, Lake Air, and Waco Drive. If you're interested, that'll start at 1 o'clock. And they'll go as long as I guess that they go. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, please feel free to do that. And, uh, and then also I want to just let you know that uh, in the coming weeks that we're together, uh, on the other side of Easter, I'm going to be sharing with you the vision that God has given me for our church. And uh, we want everybody to be a part of that. We want everybody to get on board. If you're new to our church, I want to tell you that um, what God is doing, and be, I mean, it's exciting to be a part of, and we want you to be a part of it. And uh, just because you're new doesn't mean that you're an outsider. You're one of us. This, the moment you walk in that door, you're one of us. And we want you to be a part of it together with all of those people who have sacrificed over years and decades and have been a part of this church for a long time. All of us together moving the kingdom forward. And so I'm going to be sharing that vision with the church very soon. And um, so we'll, we'll, we'll put our best foot forward with God's help, with his grace. Don't forget then Friday at 6 o'clock we'll be having our Good Friday service. And then uh, next Sunday, we'll be celebrating uh, Resurrection Sunday at 1045. So invite your friends, invite your coworkers, people you go to school with. Other than that, go enjoy the day, enjoy the Lord, the good grace that he's given you. And uh, don't eat too much, but if you do, then go work it out. All right. God bless you guys. Love you. You're dismissed.